Well, good morning, church family. Hey, happy Palm Sunday to you all as we kick off a, a holy week, 2020. Always love to think about Palm Sunday and remember the triumphal entry as Jesus is walking into Jerusalem, beginning the last week of his earthly ministry, knowing what the end of the week is going to hold, but yet coming triumphantly, coming victoriously, coming as Hosanna. So I want to just wish you a happy Palm Sunday. And I, I want you to just think about that. This, this holy week, 2020, is going to be a time, it already is a time that is unique. And it, it's a time that we can press in and do something different. Because we, we have a lot of different things happening around us. So I want to encourage you. Maybe that means waking up a little earlier with the sole purpose of seeking the Lord and, and thanking him or reading your Bibles or praying. Or maybe that means I'm going to stay up a little later. Or I'm going to watch a little less TV. Whatever the case may be, I want to encourage you to do something different as you prepare your heart, not only for a Good Friday service and finding out why do we call that day good? Why is that an incredible day? And then going into our Resurrection Sunday God is still going to be glorified through this. God is still opening doors that no man can close and allowing his word to go further in some regards than it has in a long time. So I just want to encourage you in that. I'm, I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged by all of you. And I think about in some regards, we are more connected than we've ever been. We have more connection without geographic barriers. We have more connection without limitation of distance or traffic or commuting. We can plug right in where we're at. No commute at all. And so let's just embrace this. Continue to embrace. I want to encourage you to do that. We do miss you. We do miss seeing you. But I just know God is doing something good. I know that he's bringing some things to the surface for us to deal with. And just trust that as he brings them to the surface, you're not alone. You've never been alone. He's going to walk you through it. And so I just want to encourage you in that as well. But stay connected, continue to take advantage of, of one or, or several of the many opportunities that we have that, that March shared with you. But let's open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 9. And we're continuing our study through the book of Exodus and this series, which is appropriately titled Awe. So as you're making your way there, getting your Bible, getting sorted out, let's pray and we'll, we'll begin our study this morning. Father, we, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Father, as, as we've seen so appropriately, so, so specifically, God, as you prepared us for, for this time by going through the book of Exodus, God, we're just seeing your grace and, and we're seeing your hand and, and we're seeing your movement and we're, we're heeding your warnings or, or we want to be. And Father, we're coming here this morning and we're simply saying one thing, Spirit, speak to your people. We're listening. Bring illumination to Jesus. Let your living and active word penetrate our hearts, dividing between the thoughts and intents, between joint and marrow. God, between what is flesh and what is soul. And Father, let your word go deep into our hearts and find fertile soil where it can grow and bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. God, that's what we want. And so I just pray that you'd be preparing our hearts, giving us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts willing to understand and yield to what you're showing us. Father, we are in awe of you, and we just ask that you continue to awe us even more as we see what your word has to say. Come fill me with your spirit, anoint my lips to teach your word in a way that is honorable, faithful, accurate, and true. And we pray this together in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we get back to our text this morning, we are nearing the climax of this confrontation between the Lord God himself and Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
And I want you to know I am using that word confrontation very, very loosely because it has been a completely lopsided affair, hasn't it? I mean, it is so one-sided. Pharaoh is fighting so far outside of his weight class that it is not even, it is not even a confrontation, a fight, a battle, a conflict at all, right? He hasn't even landed so much as a jab. He's getting pummeled is what we're seeing. And so I'm using this very lightly to say, but yet God is allowing it to go down with this succession. God is allowing there to be some duration over this ordeal, this, you know, confrontation with Pharaoh. And we kind of want to know why, why is God doing it? And here's the answer. It's because he's incredibly patient. It's because God is willing to suffer long. He's long suffering with the people, the human beings that he has created. And that's, that's so evident, none other than in the life of Pharaoh, who God is willing to tolerate, continue to pursue, continue to come after, even after he's rejected and denied again and again and again. By the time we finish chapter nine this morning, it will be the eighth time Pharaoh has hardened his heart and denied the instructions and the commands from the Lord God. So God is patient. That's incredible. But as we see, as we pick the text back up this morning and we get to the seventh plague now, I want you to see that the intensity is building. The anticipation is building as this whole process builds towards a climax. We're going to see it really build to new heights as we go through these historic events this morning. And, and it's been unique because over the past several weeks, as we've been going through the plagues, the signs and wonders that God pours down upon Egypt specifically, we've been able to cover two plagues per Sunday. Because there's not been a lot of detail. There hasn't been a lot of dialogue. We've been able to kind of move through them a little quickly. But things really slow down in this seventh plague. We are going to get more information. There's more length in this seventh plague than there have been in the other six plagues individually. And that's part of God building the intensity. Building it towards this climax of wanting to make sure that everybody knows there is none like him in all the earth. And I think that is so profound. And we'll talk about that as we work our way through the text this morning. But I want us to understand as as we've been going through this somewhat quickly, I don't want you to think that it's taking place quickly. I don't want you to think about these plagues coming in rapid succession. They're taking place over a period of nine months to perhaps even a year. We've got a significant amount of time where a plague's going to come and there's going to be a time for Pharaoh and the rest of the Egyptians to contemplate what's going on, heal from some of the things that have afflicted them. And then the process starts over again with a fresh opportunity to make a different decision next time. So kind of have that in mind as we build towards this. But as we pick up the seventh plague, let's remember these first six plagues, They've all been unique. They've all been unmistakable. It's all been undeniable, the awe of God that is on display. Through six plagues already, we could say, Pharaoh, can't you see? There is nobody greater than the Lord God himself. All the the false gods and idols in Egypt, Pharaoh, even more than you yourself, all the Pharaohs that have come before you, all the Pharaohs that will come after you, times 10, you are no comparison to the Lord God Almighty, Yahweh, the great I am, the creator and the Lord of heaven and earth. But yet, despite all of that, Pharaoh has still been unyielding towards the Lord, continuing to harden his heart against him. 
Even so much so as we talked about last week, God confirming that stance in Pharaoh's life. However, I want us to know that for everyone else that's still in Egypt, for the children of Israel that are still in Goshen, God is still not done. Have the people been delivered yet? No, they're still in bondage in Egypt. So God's not done. But what we're going to see is really pretty amazing is God is just getting warmed up. And that should really send some tingles down your spine when you think about through these six plagues, God is just getting warmed up. These last four are going to be the most awesome of all. And they're going to bring Pharaoh to the point that God has wanted him to be even after the first one. So this is awe for all to see. Let's pick this up. Verse 13, chapter 9, verse 13 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. Now, stopping there for a minute, let's talk about this. I want you to see just the escalation of what is taking place there. As we read those first three verses, I hope you can feel the escalation of what is going on here. The intensity is rising. It's as if to say, God is saying to Pharaoh, here's the message. Pharaoh, you haven't seen anything yet. These first six plagues, they're like the pregame shoot around before tip off. They're like the first chapter prelude before you actually get into the meat of the book. That's just a pre-stretch run before the race actually kicks off. You haven't seen anything yet, Pharaoh. And I think it's important because if Pharaoh was thinking in his mind that my resistant attitude, my hard-heartedness, my stubbornness is going to wear the Lord out. He's seeing right now that God does not sleep. God does not slumber. God does not tire. God does not fall into any kind of fatigue whatsoever. He has no limitation. He's not running out of ideas. He's not out of options. He says, Pharaoh, you haven't seen anything yet. I'm about to send all my plagues to your very heart. That's just a powerful moment for me as I read that. But building back up to it, let's just see how it begins. Verse 13 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning. Go stand before Pharaoh. That's how this next plague gets kicked off. And I like that because he says, Moses, get up, get out of bed. Don't hit the snooze anymore. It's time for you to rise and go obey what I want you to obey. And I love that it's in the morning, early in the morning. I want you to know it is a biblical thing to get up early in the morning. Kids, even during spring break. That might be just for my kids. Kids, even during spring break. It's a biblical thing to get up early in the morning and to seek the Lord. God wakes me up early in the morning all the time. And there's some beauty behind what he does. But that's how it starts. Go back to Pharaoh. Give him these terms. He says, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go. I point that out again, terms restated, exactly the same, unchanged. God's heart, God's motive, God's plan. Let my people go. But notice again that title, 
the God of the Hebrews. This is the Lord God identifying himself with his people, allowing his people to be identified with them. We're seeing that distinction over the past three plagues because God has set them apart. Been a canopy, a covering, allowed them to shelter in place during a pestilence or during an affliction or during some of these plagues. God is working in this and God is using it to bring identification to who he is and who his people are. Pharaoh knows that, knows who God is talking about. But then he's going to say, Pharaoh, I want to tell you something. Before I warn you of the next plague that's going to come, before I tell you what's going to happen next, Pharaoh, I just want you to know this. And I just read 14 again. I want you to know this. For at this time, I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. I love that God says this. Pharaoh, I want you to know that this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my plagues to your very heart. Friends, what's been Pharaoh's biggest problem? Right, because he's, he's arrogant, he's prideful, he's an idol worshiper. Here's a light, he, doesn't, he, he wants to say he doesn't know the Lord. What's his, his main problem? The heart of the problem is what? The problem of his heart. He's got a stubborn, obstinate, unyielding heart. And God says, Pharaoh, I'm gonna send all my plagues to your very heart. And I want you to understand, when we talk about heart, when God purposes and says, I want to come after your heart, he's not talking about the four-ventricled blood-pumping machine that is in the center of our chest cavities. Listen, when he talks about heart, it means this. It's the seat for our souls. Our heart is where our soul resides. We use that in a vernacular type of way, but we're talking about our minds, our will, our emotion. That's our heart. When I say, how's your heart? I say, how, how are your thoughts? What's going on in your mind? What are you feeling? What are your emotions? What's your will? Are you saying not my will be done or your will be done, Lord? Or are you battling? That's all taking place in the soul. You ever hear me talk about soul care? It's talking about things like that. How's your mind? What are you meditating on? How's your heart? What are you letting in? How's your emotions? How are you processing things? Are you giving them to the Lord? Are you expressing your hurts? Are you asking for accountability? Are you getting prayer? Or are you holding all of those things in isolation, trying to keep them in the darkness and actually hurting your own heart, making it harder? That's what Pharaoh's been doing. And so God says, I'm coming after your heart, Pharaoh. I want you to know I'm coming after your heart. And I love that. I love that God as our father wants our hearts. I love that so much. God could say, I want your obedience blindly as if he's some sort of slave master. He doesn't say this. I want your heart. I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to love me in return. And then the obedience that I ask of you, you do it out of love. Those who love me, obey me, Jesus says. That's a beautiful pursuit of the personal aspect of what God wants to have in a relationship with all of us. But he tells that to Pharaoh, I'm coming after your heart because your heart has been hard. You've been closed-minded. You've had a stubborn will. You've had apathetic emotion towards me. That's what it means to have a hard heart. And that describes Pharaoh to a T. So here's what's going to happen. These next four plagues, they're going to come after what Pharaoh cares about the most. They're going to hit Pharaoh in what affects his heart the most, what he thinks about the most, what he wants the most, and what affects his emotions the most. 
And that's all leading up for God saying, I want to bring you to a place of brokenness where hopefully you surrender and start following after me, not fighting against me. That's what's going on. But listen, I know as we start to read these next four plagues, I know for some of us, this is going to get hard. It's hard to see what God is allowing to do. What God is, is perpetuating, what is coming from God's own hand. It's hard for us to read, but I want you to see this. Don't forget this part. In verse 15, God says he has the power through one pestilence to wipe the nation of Israel, wipe the nation of Egypt right off the face of the planet. Do you realize that? He could have brought one plague and be done with the whole thing. One pestilence, the whole thing's done, the people are set free. Do you understand the weight of that? He could have. He's brought one and been done before. Think of Sodom and Gomorrah. One pestilence, the whole thing's over. But he doesn't do that here. Why? Because he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he really truly desires that none would perish, but all would come to the saving salvation of his son. Come to receive him, come to know him. He goes out of his way in long suffering to allow this. And the only answer is it's grace. This is God's grace giving everyone in Egypt the chance to repent, to change their minds so that all would know that there is none like the Lord in all the earth. He's revealing himself. He takes time to give these 10 because he's revealing himself. And I think it's profound because how many of us, if something happens only one time, well, we forget about it. Right, you, you say something, hey, remember that one time? And the person's like, ah, no, I don't remember that one time. It must not have been that important to me. But have you ever asked someone, hey, do you remember those 10 times the same awesome things kept happening for a year? God was revealing himself in such power. Do you remember those? You're like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember those. How could I forget? That was unmistakable. The greater the frequency something starts to happen, the less likely we are to forget it. And that's part of what God is doing too. In his grace, through the duration of these 10 plagues, he's bringing about the fullness of how awesome he is for all the world to know. You could say these 10 plagues are what makes God famous throughout all the world. I've said this before, the deliverance of God's people in Egypt through his mighty outstretched hand is the quintessential work that prompts God's glory in all of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. That's the new, greatest, most awesome work. But in the Old Testament, it's this deliverance. And so we're seeing the magnitude. People are not going to forget it. Egypt's not going to forget it. Israel hasn't forgotten it. We haven't forgotten it. Even as Gentiles today, we're still talking about it. And we're still as amazed. Because God has given something called awe. He's given us awe. And he's done it in such a way for all of us to see right? Unmistakable what God is able to do. I put some verses in your study guide that show after the children of Israel are going to be delivered out of bondage. We're going to see them wander around in the desert. It's going to be about 40 years, kind of a tough time, but they're eventually going to get to the Jordan River and enter into the promised land that God has delivered them and given to them. And in Joshua chapter two, remember Rahab is going to hide some spies. And you remember what she's going to say? She's going to say, we've heard of you and we're afraid. Why? Because we know what your God did in Egypt. They know that's 40 years later. Advance a little further in Joshua chapter nine. 
the Gibeites, they're going to try and make a treaty with, with Joshua and the children of Israel. And they shouldn't make that treaty, but they do. But why do they want to make the treaty? Because they've heard of the God of Israel and what he's done to those in Egypt. Advance 400 years. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 4 The nation of Israel is going to line up against the Philistines in battle. They're going to bring the Ark of the Covenant. That's which we're going to see in the book of Exodus. God tells people to build that which represented God's presence with the people. When they bring that there, the Philistines are going to see it. They're going to say, whoa, hold up. Do you remember what this God did to the people in Egypt? It makes God famous. It it shows that he's world renowned. And it's just the beginning of what God is going to do. So God tells Pharaoh this. He tells Pharaoh this before he even tells him what's going to happen next. And I think it's beautiful because here's another opportunity to Pharaoh say, I think we can just skip the rest of these plagues. God, I want to I soften my heart before you right now. I see your awe. I, I've been ignoring it, but no more. He could have. He has the opportunity, but he doesn't. And so with that specifically in mind, with, with him knowing, with God knowing Pharaoh's going to harden his heart again, with that specifically in mind and everything God's going to do through it, look at verse 16. The message continues saying, but indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet you exalt yourself against me, against my people, in that you will not let them go. Think of Pharaoh's arrogant heart. Think of Pharaoh in this moment. Think of this message. God's saying, Pharaoh, you think you're in control. You think that you're driving the ship here every single time you exalt yourself over me by holding on to my people, by not obeying my word, right? That's kind of what Pharaoh's saying. He's thinking he's in control. And God is saying, Pharaoh, you've never been in control. You do not have the title, the blessed controller of all things, but I do, God says. And he says it in such a way by saying, I knew you were going to deny me. I knew you were going to harden your heart before you ever did it once. I knew. We read and we talked about how God told Moses beforehand that he knew. But listen, listen closely. That doesn't take away Pharaoh's own choice. That doesn't exclude Pharaoh's human responsibility and make an excuse for him doing what he's doing. Just because God knows God is sovereign, it doesn't mean that it takes away or usurps our human responsibility. There is nothing hidden from God's side. Not one single thing. You think about that. Not one single thing. So just because he knows doesn't mean that we are without excuse for the things that we're doing. We still have the opportunity to choose to obey. Go back and circle how many times it says Pharaoh refused. Pharaoh chose to harden his own heart. Those are choices and decisions that he's made. So don't think that it excludes excludes him. Pharaoh on his own, out of his own free will, he has made this choice himself again and again and again to harden his own heart, to reject the awe of God on display right before his eyes. But the point that is being made here is God is saying, and not one of those has derailed anything. Not one of your denials has, has, has adversely affected my plan. Not one of these things has has prevented what I want to do. All you're doing, Pharaoh, is helping me declare my power in a greater capacity to the entire world. And I think that is beautiful. I think that's beautiful and it's applicable for all of us because here's another one of those incredible moments when even what man intends for evil, God is able to use for good. God is able to use for his glory. 
Even those people who reject his will, deny the offer of salvation presented to them. Even those situations God can use for his good, for his glory, to make sure that his name is declared through all the earth. Even situations like we find ourselves in right now, this situation. This COVID-19, this shelter in place, this coronavirus, illnesses, layoffs, furloughs, cancellations, spousal disagreements, kid issues, whatever the case may be. Listen, the Bible is my testimony. The Bible is my proof text. God is able to work these things for good. And I'll be completely honest with you. I don't know how he's going to do that. You don't know how he's going to do that. But God does know how he's going to do that. We would look at the situation and say, there's no way you can use Pharaoh to exasperate your glory for all time in history. But God says, you don't have to always understand me. Would you just trust me in all your ways? Acknowledge me, follow me, and I will guide your steps. Will you just, that's, that's what God is really petitioning to all of us right now. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but listen, it doesn't have to. Why? Because God does. Because I trust him and I see his faithfulness over and over and over again. And so he has, he has my trust. I've put my faith in him knowing that it's secure. Because his person, his character is unchanging. His word is a solid foundation that I can build my life upon. So even in this situation, God is going to be glorified. God's name is going to be declared throughout all the earth. And I love that. Just again, another little side note, but notice how it's not Pharaoh's name. We call Pharaoh, Pharaoh, because we don't know his name. Today, even now today, Bible commentators, scholars, these great historians, there's not a clear consensus upon which Pharaoh this is. I know some of you, you have your opinions, but there's still not a clear consensus. We don't know his name. Why? Because his name isn't given to us in the Bible. This situation isn't so we would know Pharaoh's name. It's so we would know God's name. God's name goes out. God's name is glorified through this whole situation. God will receive glory even through the situation we find ourselves in today. So that is what God is doing. Now, after telling Pharaoh all of that amazing truth, now he's going to warn him about what comes next. Verse 18. Behold, tomorrow, about this time, I will cause very heavy hail to rain down such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home and they shall die. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Now, I don't know what happens to you in your heart when you see the the word of the Lord saying, behold, look, Pay attention that that silences anything else that's anything else that's going into my life reprioritizes everything else that I think is important. I'm saying, Lord, you have my undivided attention. I am beholding behold. But he says tomorrow about this time, I will cause a very heavy hail to fall a hailstorm, a killer hailstorm that has not been seen in Egypt since the day of its founding. 
This is God saying, this is a hailstorm unlike the day of this nation's birth until now. And only God can say that because he sees the rise and the fall of nations. He's there through it all. So he's accurate when he says there's never been a hailstorm like this. But this is so good. Please tune in for this. There's so many things I want to point out here in this warning. First, I want you to see for the very first time in all of these six plagues, This is the first time where God says human life is going to be taken. This is the first time where he says there's going to be some human people. Men and women are going to die if they don't heed this warning. We've seen frogs and fish and livestock die. We've seen a lot of other things happen in Egypt. But at this point, no human life has been lost. And that is until right here in plague number seven, God is going to send so great a hailstorm that it's going to fall upon man and animal, whatever, whoever is in those fields, and it will lead to their death. That is what God just told Pharaoh. Now, I was, I was working at an insurance company right out of college. I was a claims adjuster. Yes, that's right. A claims adjuster. Be nice to claims adjusters because some of them love the Lord and are trying to to work that profession in honor. I I was one of those. But I remember a couple different times when I was a claims adjuster that there would be a catastrophe somewhere, somewhere in the United States. And so there'd be cat duty. That's what we call the cat duty. There's a catastrophe somewhere. There's a whole lot of property that's been damaged. We need a lot of insurance adjusters to go over there and help so we can resolve this situation. And one of those cat duty assignments every year would be because of a major hailstorm. Hailstorm with hail the size of golf balls or tennis balls in some instances. Hail that is so catastrophic that it's shredding trees and it's breaking windshields on cars and breaking windows in houses and damaging rooftops and denting hoods. And if people don't find shelter, they're being pummeled by this hailstorm, the same being injured and even some cases dying as a result of that hail. And that storm would have paled into comparison of what God is doing here in this seventh plague. This would have been absolutely insane to think about. Later, we're going to see, in addition to the hail, there's thunder and there's lightning. There's, there's fire darting from the heavens. Just think about that. It's coming from the heavens as if God couldn't be any clearer. Through the first six plagues, he's saying he's shown power over the earth, over the water, over the streams, over the very dust of the earth in the plagues that he's performed. And now this one's coming from the sky. You want to talk about the sky gods that Egypt would have worshipped? He says, I'm greater than all of them. They don't have anything on me. And as we've all been, if we've experienced a thunderstorm or a lightning storm, that, that crack of thunder, and sometimes if that flash of lightning comes too quick, you know you're way too close. But when that happens, the sound is awesome. The brilliance of the light is stunning. And you naturally just take the posture of, this is dangerous. I need to find shelter now. I've been in those storms where the lightning and the thunder are simultaneously, it seems. And it's so loud. It's deafening. And it just naturally brings me to a place of, I am humbly in submission to the God who is far more awesome than I am. This is happening all throughout Egypt. It's awe for all to see. Think of the most impressive storm you've ever seen and multiply it by 10. Add hail and thunder and lightning. That's what's happening here. 
And that's what God is going to say. This is your sign, Pharaoh. This is the next plague. This is what's going to happen. So notice that there's going to be human life that's going to be taken in this first plague. But the second thing I want us to notice about this is, friends, don't miss this part. Not only does God warn them again, not only does God give them time to repent again by saying tomorrow this is going to happen. Right? You've got 24 hours tomorrow at this time. You've got 24 hours to repent. That's amazing. He warns them. He gives them time to repent. But that isn't even the most amazing part. Friends, he also gives them the opportunity to escape this judgment. Do you see that? God says, what you need to do is you need to get all of those people, all of those animals, all of those men out of the livestock and get them into shelter. And if you do that, not one of them will die. That is so amazing to me that God would give them the information, give them the heads up on what they need to do. He's literally saying, you need to shelter in place during this season. The judgment's still gonna come, but you will find yourself out of harm's way if what? You just obey my word. If you just take my word, apply it to your life, act on it and obey, not a single life is going to be lost. I think that is absolutely incredible that we're seeing what God is willing to do. God is willing to give them the way of escape, tell them what they're supposed to do. This is God's love. This is God's grace. This is his loving kindness. And listen, this is being shown to Pharaoh and all the servants of the Egyptians. This is what God in his love is willing to extend as an opportunity to be saved to them. Don't miss that part. That's absolutely radical. When I think of of us, when I think of our situation today, he's done the same thing for us. We've had plenty of things that God has done, but just looking at this recent situation, I think we could all agree God has our attention. Christians, God has our attention. If you're a seeker and you're kind of interested, is, is God real? Is there a God in heaven? I think he has your attention. You wouldn't be tuning in right now if he didn't have your attention. And so I want you to see the the pattern, the similarity of these situations. We say, well, what does God want us to do? The same exact thing he gave the Egyptians the opportunity to do here. Hear his word, fear it. What's the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge? The fear of the Lord, the fear that says God says what he says and means what he says and what he says comes to pass. I'm going to fear it. I'm going to revere it. I'm going to obey it. And then I'm going to act on it. In Egypt, it was go and find some shelter in place. Go and find some covering from the storm. But Christians, people, my brothers and sisters, friends, what's our shelter in place now? His name is Jesus. He is our refuge. He is our rock of protection. He's our canopy and our covering. He's the one that we can be hidden in. So even when the judgment comes, we will be safe and secure from it. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he did for us. The same truth, that is God's word. We can read our Bibles and see that same exact thing. Some of those in Egypt are going to hear that. Some of them, verse 20 says, fear the word of the Lord. And I want you to circle that. I've circled that and highlighted that in my Bible. I love that they feared the word of the Lord. They hear it and they obey. They're starting to get the picture Notice it says they are servants of Pharaoh. And they're saying, we know this God, he's greater than Pharaoh. They're start, these are some of the people that said, this is the finger of God. 
in the earlier plagues. This is the hand of God in later plagues. And now they're just hearing beforehand and saying, I'm not going to contend this. God is six for six. He has shown himself to be faithful. I'm going to let my servants know right now, get out of the field and I'm going to go find some shelter myself because this thing's going to happen. He's obeying. They are obeying because they fear the word of the Lord. They know God is not like a parent who warns and warns and warns and never disciplines. God follows through. And what he says is going to come to pass. It will come to pass. He's not a liar. We have these truths. We have these warnings just like they have here. So some of them obey, but others Others do not regard the word of the Lord. They ignore it. They don't listen. They don't obey. They don't bring anyone or anything out of the fields. And those people and, they, and those animals are going to die. But friends, listen to me. They didn't have to. Right? They didn't have to. When we look at this situation, God warned them. God told them the way of escape. But they didn't listen. We see people right now and they, they want to shake their fist at God. They want to blame God. Is there any blame that can be attributed to God here? When this hailstorm starts, is anyone going to be able to shake their fist at God and say, you didn't warn us? No, they, they warned. They were warned. You didn't tell us the way of escape. No, they knew that too. They chose to disregard it. I love that God has sent these signs to us in this season because if there's just one message I want to make sure you get every single week, it's that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You've heard it. You've been warned. You know what's coming. And you know that he still extends his righteous right hand to save you today. You can come to him, invite him into your life, and be saved, be forgiven, be accepted. Listen, the hail may still come. But it won't affect you in the same way for all of eternity if you are sheltered in Jesus than if you are not. If you take the word of God at face value and say, I believe it with the faith of a child, I believe it and I'm going to obey it. Then you're going to find yourself in a much better place for all of eternity than those who don't heed it, disregard it, ignore it and act as if none of those things happen. That is what we mean when we say they are without excuse. God has done everything he possibly can. Again, these are the Egyptians. We say, why does he do that? Listen, the same reason why he, he has redeemed us, the same reason why he's protecting the Israelites in Goshen, because he loves them, because he truly desires none to perish, but all to come to faith in Jesus for all to be saved. That is a consistent character attribute of the Lord our God. He is loving. He is gracious. He is merciful. And he extends opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. But we still have to obey it. Remember, tomorrow at this time, this hail is going to come. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put off for tomorrow something that can be done right now today. And that's, that's for you. If you're here and you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. We don't know what's coming tomorrow. There could be a hailstorm the size of golf balls, softballs, boulders. We don't know. But God does, and you're hearing the opportunity today. Take the word of God, fear it, obey it, heed it, apply it to your life, and find your shelter in Jesus. Let him be your Lord. Now, Pharaoh is going to be among the group here who doesn't obey it. Pharaoh's not going to regard the word of the Lord here. He's still not ready to take orders from anyone. So he's going to leave his people and his livestock out in the field. 
and they will die. Verse 22 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. So tomorrow the next day comes, just as God said, tomorrow the next day will come. And he says, Moses, lift your hand to the sky, lift your rod to the sky, and thunder and lightning and hail starts to pour out from the sky. A storm like this with its power and ferocity. Once you were in a safe place, if you made it there and were not killed in the field, you would naturally just sit there in awe. This is a speechless spectacle that there's just nothing left to say as you're watching the power of God rain down upon Egypt. Again, this is awe for all to see. Just as you can see lightning for miles away, all those nations outside of Egypt are seeing these storm clouds and seeing this lightning and seeing there is something absolutely awesome happening in Egypt right now. But I want you just to think about this for a minute as we switch gears and we try to take ourselves out of Egypt and put ourselves in Goshen for a time. Think about being one of those children of Israel in Goshen. You've been there and and you've been there over 400 years. Now, you know, not you specifically because that would be a long time to live, but you've been there in bondage. You were born in bondage. You've heard of this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're starting to believe him. You want to trust him. And now you're seeing this incredible storm come. You're seeing a wall of clouds that you have never seen before. And you're thinking, this is it. You're buttoning down the hatches. You're being ready for this storm, except the clouds kind of stop. Because God has stretched his hand out to say, I've determined the boundaries of where this storm can go. I've set a boundary to say it cannot come any further. And I'm thinking my personality would be like, this is amazing. And I would have kind of wanted to walk to that edge. I don't recommend that, but I would have kind of, I want to see this because there has to be an edge. There's a point where lightning and thunder and hail is pummeling Egypt. And there's an edge where you can be in Goshen and you're still in sunny skies. And what are you saying? There is a God and his name is Yahweh and he loves me more than I can fathom. And look at what he's capable of doing. Setting a difference, making a ransom. He's showing me what it looks like to walk with him and what it looks like to rebel against him. That is stunning. That would have been incredible to see and watch what is going on there. But that's what God is doing in this instance showing who are his people, who are those who are following him, how he's a covering, a canopy, a shield, a refuge, a protector, a shepherd, as we find our place under the shadow of his wing. That's what God is doing here in Goshen for all those in the children, for the children of Israel. But those Egyptians... They're experiencing once more just the weight of this and Pharaoh specifically. This, this plague was said to come right after his heart. 
This, fl- this plague, remember, we talked about it. God gave us that information before it ever happened. I'm coming for your heart, Pharaoh. So how does Pharaoh respond to this one? Verse 27 says, And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail for it is enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, as soon as I've gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord. Now the flax and the barley were struck for the barley was in head and the flax in a bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck for they were late crops. Now, hold on to that just just for a minute. We're going to see the next plague. I say, hold on to it a minute. Hold on to it for a week. Because the next plague, actually next week's you know, Easter. Hold on to it for two weeks. Two weeks, hold on to that. But I bring that up because the next plague is going to be the plague of the locusts. And we want to know, well, what are the locusts devouring if the hail destroyed all the crops? And we see right here, not all the crops. There were some crops that hadn't yet come to the point of maturity where they were going to be destroyed. And that's what he tells us. The wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. That's how we kind of get a timeline of what's going on. But just keep that in mind for later. Verse 33 says, So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, And he and his servants, so the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. So once again, this plague starts. We see the focus turn to the Lord, the awe of God, awe for all to see his incredible display. And then the plague ends with the focus back upon Pharaoh saying, what does Pharaoh have to say about it? What does Pharaoh decide to do after what God has just shown him once again? And as we read this, at first it appears like we see some progress. We see him call for Moses and Aaron. And he says the right words. He says, I've sinned. He says, God is righteous and my servants and I are wicked. And all that's true. And then he even says, please entreat for us. Pray that God would bring an end to this mighty storm. He says, it is enough. He even says, you can go, you don't have to stay any longer. And there's no conditions on that one this time. So it all sounds good. On the surface, this sounds great. But when we see the way this thing really plays out, what Pharaoh really does here, what this is called is false repentance. This is not a true repentance. It's just, these are false words. These are empty, vain words. This is a person who doesn't like the consequences of the sin that they found themselves in. But that's the only part they don't like. They don't actually hate the sin that they committed. They hate the consequences that have resulted from the sin. And remember what I told you at the very beginning. God's own word. He says, I'm coming for your heart, Pharaoh. And our heart is this seat of our souls, this seat of emotion, the heart that can be desperately wicked before the Lord until we are born again and that heart of stone removed and that heart of flesh placed back inside of us, a heart that God can write his word upon. 
So in this situation, he's still keeping God at hand's length. He's saying, God, what I don't really like is I don't like the symptoms, but I'm not really willing to let you fix the problem. I'm not willing to change my mind so you can fix my heart. What he really has is just regret, remorse, worldly sorrow, not godly sorrow. And we know that for several reasons. We know that because here's this moment, once again, where Pharaoh can do nothing to save himself. Pharaoh can do nothing to save his people. Pharaoh can do nothing to stop this judgment from falling upon Egypt and destroying everything. So he shows us he knows what he should do. And he says, Moses and Aaron, come and you guys pray for me. He wants to try and have this vicarious relationship with the Lord, which is not a relationship at all. We either call upon the name of the Lord and we are saved, or we bypass that and say, well, you do it because I'm still not ready to come in submission to the Lord. I'm still not ready to repent of my ways, turn from my sin and come to you as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to try and go around things and ask somebody else to do it for me. And that just is not the way it works. So this is a false repentance. We know that because as soon as this thing is over, he hardens his heart again. We know that even in verse 30, because Moses sees right through it. He says, I know that you're not ready to fear the Lord. But the other indicators that Pharaoh uses, they're in his own words. Notice that he says, back in verse 27, he says, I have sinned this time. He's, okay, okay, I'll admit, I was wrong about this time. I probably should have had my people come out of the fields this time. But doesn't that make you wonder, Pharaoh, what about all the other times? What do you mean this time? You're like, oh, I'm a sinner, but just once. I've just got one sin. I'm thinking, no, if, if you don't think you're a sinner, you're saying God is a liar. That's what First John says, because we are sinners. We're falling short of the glory of God. And one sin makes us less than perfect. So he's kind of like, saying, oh, I've sinned this one time. But James tells us to him who knows the good he is supposed to do and doesn't do it, that's sin. Which means every single time you know what God wants you to do, just as Pharaoh does, every single time God says, Pharaoh, let my people go, and he doesn't do it, it's sin. So it's been at least seven times, and come on, there's a lot more than that, but at least, but he's, he's not willing to, to share, to open his heart and say, God, I, I'm a sinner. That's one of the main differences here between regret and repentance. Sin in, in the situation isn't just consequences. That's the, that's the symptoms, not the problem. So he doesn't come and say, what I really want is to never disobey you again. What I really want is a surrender to say, God, you have always been right. Which means every time I've always been wrong. You are holy. You are perfect. You are awesome. And I'm not. A repentant heart comes and says, God, I am a sinner. And I need your saving grace. I need you to change me from the inside out. I don't ever want to walk in disobedience to you again. That's a repentant heart. And listen, Christians or, or people tuning here, that does not mean that we as Christians don't sin sometimes. That does not at all mean that we are less in need of God's grace today than the first day we called upon it. I need Jesus more than my next breath. I need God's grace every single day. I need God's mercies renewed every single day. The only difference is I know that they will be. And I know that his grace is sufficient for me, that even when I sin, his grace abounds. But that doesn't mean I make an excuse for it. When the spirit of God brings conviction, because I've done something that is contrary to the word of God, I confess my sin to the Lord. 
And he is faithful and just to forgive me my sin and cleanse me from all of my unrighteousness. And the same is true for you. We don't try to cover it. We don't try to walk in it. We don't stay in that place. We confess and are cleansed all over again. That's a life of repentance. That's a life walking in relationship with Jesus. But Pharaoh doesn't do that. He has an opportunity, but he doesn't do that. He's just really wanting to say, just take away the consequences. Because as soon as the crisis is over, he goes right back to hardening his heart. As soon as the storm clouds clear, he goes right back to the place, positioning himself in opposition to the Lord and heading down that path of destruction all over again. And if there's something that has beat my heart more during this time than any other one thing, it's been that same thought for all of you. I know there's a lot of people drawing near to the Lord in this crisis. There's a lot of people drawing near to the Lord in this trial, unlike times that they have ever in their entire lives. And listen, that's beautiful. That is so beautiful. That is so good. As we draw near to the Lord, God says, I will draw near to you. That's beautiful. But I want you to ask yourself, is this just for a season or is this for a lifetime? I am not intending to draw near to the Lord just because there's a crisis. I'm intending to draw near to the Lord for the rest of my days until I go to be home with the Lord or until he comes back for me. I'm drawing near to him. And that's what I want for you. That's what we can learn from Pharaoh in this instance. Another example where we can see what has gone on here and we can say, God, I don't want to have a false repentance. I don't want to only be here because I regret the way I've been living. That's a great start, but that's not going to last once the storm fades. Repentance, this timer of refreshing, a new birth in our lives, being changed from the inside out, being made a new creation, that lasts all of eternity. So don't just think that I'm kind of tuning in a little bit. It's time to come the whole way. It's time to fully surrender to the Lord and say, God, you can have all of me. You can have my thoughts, my mind, my will and emotion or better stated, God, you can have my heart. My heart is yours, Lord. I'm yielding it to you. And friends, that's what God wants. Just like he's wanted for Pharaoh. That's what he wants. He wants our heart. He wants to sit on the throne of our lives. Our soul is on the seat of our hearts, right? But that's where God wants to sit. God, you get that place. You are Lord. I am not Lord. So as we look at Pharaoh and we look at the situation and we try to wind this down and we see it kind of from 10,000 feet one more time. Look how we've seen how God shows up to Pharaoh through Moses and Aaron once again. He gives him the commands. He restates his terms. He tells Pharaoh what's to come. A more severe plague than has ever been at this point. But it's all for one purpose, Pharaoh. I want your heart. I want you to submit to me. I want to appeal to you and I want to draw you near to me. And God tells Pharaoh, this is going to happen and this is what you can do to avoid it. But when it's all said and done, Pharaoh doesn't take any of it. Pharaoh slaps away the righteous right hand of salvation being extended to him. And I'm asking you, my brothers and sisters, please do not do that. Don't slap away God's gift of salvation that is being extended to you this day accept it, grab a hold of it and say, God, you can have all of me. We've got a couple more worship songs that we want to close out, but, but let God's word be true. Let God's word move inside of you. Let God's word create a fear and a reverence that says, God, I believe you. 
I believe you and I want to follow you and I want to obey you. Let that work begin and continue just to be meditating over that as we, as we close out with a couple more worship songs. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And God, I just come and I just stand in the gap for your precious people. I stand in the gap of people who are on the fence and, and they're wondering, where are you, God? What are you doing? God, I pray that they would know you are right here. You are closer than they know. And you are truly knocking on the doors of their lives and, and wanting to be invited in. And so, God, I just pray that you would enter in, that people would invite you in this very day. And for my brothers and sisters here tuning in, those who are believers and have walked with you, God, these times are, are certainly uncertain. But Father, we don't have to have any less assurance that you are on your throne than we have when there are sunny skies. God, you are faithful. You are true. And you are able to use these situations for good and your glory, no matter what is on the horizon. And so we trust you, God. We praise you and we rejoice over the week that this is. A week that we remember your triumphal entry. A week that we remember your crucifixion, your resurrection. A week that we rejoice because you are still seated on your throne. God, we love you and we just pray, Holy Spirit, be sent through the airways, be sent throughout the world to minister to people now. In Jesus' name, amen.